Hey, and welcome back to Immersive Evidence, a podcast about the social behind VR. In this first episode, we're going to talk about what it's going to take for VR to go mainstream, because we're not quite there yet. We're in about the third wave, I would say, of VR. So we've done caves, we've done these huge computer room type scale pieces, but we're not really at a point where we've had this happy medium where the technology and the content have reached a consumer level where people are ready to jump on board. So what is going to be the tipping point that makes consumers go after this type of content? I think it's going to take a happy medium between the technology and the tipping point of that becoming low enough with ease enough of use, but still making you feel very present with really good content. That's actually what my students here are working on. Um, I said this earlier in the teaser that I'm a professor of interactive media and what we do is create immersive stories. We want the good story behind the content. So if we go back and take a step back a minute and talk about the technology, we've come a long way and I'm not going so far back as like the early caves or the early HMDs, but I'm going to start around the Rift or Vive kind of in this third wave. So the Rift and the Vive were awesome, right? They've, they're powerful, but they need a good, powerful computer. And I think that's where the pain point came in. A lot of people had, you know, good, interesting, powerful computers that could play games, but their graphics cards weren't quite up to par yet. And graphics cards, as you know, can be ridiculously expensive. I mean, some in some ways you might as well buy a new computer because it's like you buy the graphics card and the computer comes with it. So that's a bit of a pain point. Over the summer, two summers ago, I'm sorry, my students came over for a end of semester barbecue and we were going to set up our new vibe and put it on the new VR ready laptop that we had. And we couldn't because, and we troubleshot this thing for the entire barbecue. We kind of rotated out, someone was on the grill and somebody was trying to figure out the vibe and why it wouldn't work because we wanted to play so badly. And it turns out that the HDMI that was actually on the mother, or on the, not the motherboard, I'm sorry, I think it was on the graphics card, was not shaking hands well with it and we didn't know why our workaround actually ended up having to be a display port. We had to use a mini display port to get the vibe to run well. And then it ran great, but, but when all the instructions are telling you to use an HDMI cable, the first thing you're going to do is probably not reach for a mini display port. So these little tiny pain points are still a difficulty with these large systems. Even though they give you a superior experience and there's more content for it, it's still a painful process often. So then you get also the Samsung gear, which came out at a similar time. And it was really exciting because you could just stick your phone in it. It was a little bit more powerful than like a cardboard because a cardboard, of course, gives you a lot of peripheral vision left and you don't feel as present as you could in something that kind of cuts that off. So the Samsung gear also wasn't just running, you know, cardboard apps. It was running Oculus or a, a kind of a mini version of the Oculus store. And it was interesting. You did feel present. And then of course we get the Oculus Go. And to me right now, the Oculus Go is very exciting. Unfortunately, the battery life sucks on it. The battery life is absolutely horrific, but it's an exciting piece of kit because it is a standalone, as you probably know. You still have a way, you don't need like a Bluetooth controller that you buy off Amazon and hope it works. It actually comes with something that works out of the box. So if you look at the average 
average consumer. You want something that's going to be consumer ready, out of the box, user friendly, plug and play, just set it up and go. And that's exciting. And Oculus, the Oculus store has a lot of really good titles as well. So I'm, I'm really excited to see kind of where that's going. And of course, as you know, this year it was a huge, huge Christmas present. Another company that's doing some really interesting things that might take VR to a more mainstream level is Insta360. And I will say, I was not a huge fan of Insta360 in the beginning. I thought other cameras were doing things better, but Insta360 is really updating their firmware often. And every time they do an update, they kind of kill it, which is exciting. So I've been watching some people using Insta360 One X who use it both as a 360 camera, but also as a really great action cam because their stabilization for a 360 camera is pretty good. And what they'll do in Insta360 editing program, you can set these points where the camera will actually follow the point. And if you're using that in a frame based video versus a 360 video, you can actually turn the camera like someone's following you, but they're not. It's just the camera and the, the software going along with it, which is exciting if you're a solo videographer, if you're on YouTube or however you're doing your, your videos. What's exciting about these cameras? Because, you know, there is a cost to them, of course. We've got pretty good cameras in our phones now. So what's the drive or what's the excitement for buying this extra piece of kit you've got to carry with you and keep charged, you know, another thing to charge? This is dual purpose camera that you have. So right now, Insta360 just came out with an Evo, which is super exciting to me because it'll take 3D pictures, but you can also fold it and take 360. So I just got my hands on one this week. I've been practicing on my dog. I have noticed that if your dog moves, it's blurry and you'll get nauseous, but... It's a really exciting, you feel more present in it. So this idea of what makes you feel present is vital to VR. That's gonna be its own episode next time. Right now we're just talking about kind of this happy medium of what what could potentially make VR go mainstream. So the Evo and the Insta360 ONE X having this dual purpose and not just for a 360 camera, isn't that cool, but your friends can't really watch it. Another really cool thing that Insta360 ONE is doing is they've got this thing called Holoframe. I'm used to being on video, so I just picked it up, which is not useful on a podcast at all, but I've got one on my phone and you have to set it up so that you can, it's almost like, it reminds me of a magic eye almost. And honestly, I haven't figured out how to make it look good yet. I have totally hooked it up to the Oculus Go and you can watch the pictures and they're super easy. You just Wi-Fi from the camera to the Oculus Go and it works seamlessly and you see it and it's awesome and it's there. So that's what I'm talking about, this low consumer pain point. The frame to me is super exciting because one, it's actually a decent phone case. I like a clear case on my phone. It is a clear case. I mean, that's my preference, but it's a pretty interesting design just in that it's a decent phone case. But then when you flip it over and put it on your screen, you can see your 3D pictures and you can share them with friends in a way that makes them interested in 360 and 3D. So I'm really excited to see where the future of this goes. I'm not sure this particular case does it. It may just be, I haven't set it up correctly, but I haven't gotten it to work yet. Um, And I say yet because I've only had it like two days. I'm still playing with it. And I've been playing with the Oculus Go a lot more. It could be a really exciting way to start tipping this point of critical mass in this technology. I think Insta360 is definitely on the cusp of this type of technology and and really they're leading the pack right now. Oculus is also really leading the pack. So if they continue to work together, I'm really excited about what will come out. So that's kind of where we are with the technology. So where are we right now? with the content. There's maybe two or three kinds of content developing right now. You've got games, of course. And I think that actually, if you're a gamer, you're gonna love it. It's interesting. I played Skyrim in VR, made me a little nauseous. It depends on how you (laughs) move your your avatar through. But stories are also incredibly powerful. There's been some really interesting work coming out of uh, University of Washington 
and out of the Stanford Human Interaction Lab that discuss how the presence that you feel in VR can lead to pro-social change. That's a whole ethical thing that we're going to talk about in a different episode, but there is actually a response. The stickiness of that response or the long-termness of that response is also a different episode. Suffice to say right now, there is actually a response created from this type of content. Just super exciting as a content creator. So how do you get this content to people? There's been a couple of different standard ways to do it. Of course, the VR festival circuit. But the thing about the VR festival circuit is once it's been shown, it's gone. And a lot of this content is not actually being put online. So it's not being shared with a wide audience. You're not finding it as easily on Steam or in the Oculus Go store. So you're not really finding that content in the two main stores that VR content is being shared. Um, that would be the Oculus Go store and, or the Oculus store, I'm sorry, not just the Go. It's also for the Rift and everything, but also the VR Steam store. So once something leaves a VR festival, it's hard to see it at home. Games, of course, are fun and engaging, but there's so much more you can do with this kind of content beyond a game. The emblematic group led by Noni de Pena is an incredible example of this type of content creation. She creates, her early work used a lot of real audio. So they would go and capture audio and then they would animate the stories around that audio. Really powerful pieces. I have shown her Kia before when I was teaching and I've had students and of course I, I tell them kind of what's going to happen, not completely, but enough to, to let them choose whether or not to partake in the lesson that day or not. But I've had students rip the headset off their head and say, I can't do this anymore. Um, it's a really, really powerful piece about domestic violence. So until we get some really good, interesting content, I don't think VR is going to go mainstream. We've had arcades. We've had VR arcades. I think there's two here in the Nashville area, and both of them have not done well. In England right now, they are opening up a VR art venue called the and I may be pronouncing this wrong, I hope I'm not, called the Limina. And it is a virtual reality theater where you actually can go in and you go in as a group and everyone puts on a headset and the story starts at the same time. That's exciting. That's interesting. There are already easy ways to do that from a technological perspective. Pixmana, for example, lets you put a bunch of people on a headset, start it all at the same time. So the technology pain point of that is not difficult from a developer side of things. And that lets people kind of go and share this experience together, be able to talk about it afterwards. If you look at the VR festival where where A, it's hard to see at home, and B, they're kind of um, ephemeral. Once you've seen them, they're gone, they go on to the next city or wherever the next festival is. Just like our theaters here, where you can go in and see Captain Marvel or Aquaman or Mary Poppins or, you know, whatever. At this limited theater, you can go in and see VR-based content. So that is pretty exciting. And perhaps we'll drive this into the mainstream again. We're not there. We're definitely not there. Our content and our technology just haven't reached this critical mass or this critical tipping point yet. It'll be interesting to see too what AR does in this realm and if it begins to help VR push into the more critical mass. So I have access to both Magic Leap and to the HoloLens when it comes to AR. And I actually am pretty well versed in AR gaming. I've been playing Ingress before Pokemon and I've played Pokemon. Not a big fan of Pokemon. I don't think it's a good game, but that's a different conversation. So Ingress is a pretty interesting game. The storyline behind it is engaging, it changes, it develops, the community behind it is very involved. I started playing in the Birmingham community and people would get together outside of the game as well. The game brought people together, but then I know people that have gotten married through the game, that have gone to funerals together through the game, that really experience life outside of the game together. So there's definitely an aspect of this AR game that is engaging and that builds real relationships. It's a really good, exciting game. And that's an example of how AR has kind of reached a more critical mass and is using technology that we already own and that we already have in our pocket 
pockets. I'm not 100% convinced yet by HoloLens. What bothers me with HoloLens is a somewhat limited field of view. You can make amazing, engaging pieces in it. One of our professors here is mapping out slave quarters, which had never been mapped previously, and you can actually walk around the building. These buildings are true to scale. You can walk around them, you can go through them. It's a really, really interesting piece. And then I've also been able to try the Magic Leap. And I think the difficulty with AR is what it's mapped upon. So one difficulty, of course, with VR content creation is getting people to look where you want them to look. You've got to use, you know, audio cues or visual cues or, you know, a way to, you've got to design with care and thought to get people to kind of go where you want them to go. Well, AR, that's a much harder ask because you don't know what they're mapping onto. If they're sitting in their office or their home or outside and, you know, the, the field of view behind them is like a graveyard or is is, you know, a row of apartment buildings. You never know what extra information is coming into your story and how that affects your story. So while you do feel present and there's a lot of really interesting business opportunities, I would say, if you look at advertising or marketing through AR, and of course, game opportunities, if you look at Ingress and the popularity of Pokemon Go, it doesn't offer the same level of presence and directed storytelling that VR offers. And of course, VR directed storytelling is difficult as well. So what do you think? What is it going to take for VR to go mainstream? We've talked a little bit about the technology that's out there right now. We've talked very in general about the content that's out there right now. What do you think will make VR go mainstream? I would love to hear from you. This is a new podcast. I want to have a conversation and not just make this a one way. That will happen later. We are going to bring people in for interviews. It's not going to just be me waffling on for, you know, however many episodes. So if you want to comment, either leave feedback on our iTunes page, that would really, really help us out. Or go ahead and go to our website. Our website is immersiveevidence.com. Each episode will have show notes and a place for you to comment on it. Love to talk to you further about what you think will make VR go mainstream. So before you go, please don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate. It really helps us out. Have a great day. Bye.